John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, congratulations, everybody. We made it through another week as we head into the weekend, which is technically week five in the National Football League. Of course, next week is going to be a bye week for the Seahawks. So, uh, you know, they got a lot to accomplish here as they play their fifth non-division game. And if they have a chance to go 5-0, and boy, they're in pretty good shape. So this will be a defining game coming up. Got lots to get into. So let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. You know, I think it's all about, you know, just the safety play that they have in terms of Harrison and, you know, and, and, and Harris, too. I think both of those guys, they can make so many plays, you know, and I think they're so decisive. You know, they're confident in their play. They disguise really well, all those different things. And so it'll be a, a game of a little cat and mouse, which we always have fun with. But I think that um, I got a lot of respect for those guys and how they play the game. Uh, you know, in their corners, obviously, they're younger, but um, I think they're very talented, too, you know, and they've, they've, they really played a great game last week. They made some great, you know, great plays and just I think it's going to be a great game, a tough challenge for us. Yeah, and I would anticipate it's going to be a high-scoring game, but what he's talking about, Russell Wilson, is Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, two, uh, two really good safeties. And so the plan was, because they knew they weren't going to be able to keep their top three cornerbacks, is that they wanted to keep their top two safeties and keep them in a way that they were going to be able to go ahead and uh, kind of help the young guys. Unfortunately, the young cornerbacks that they have, and this is the youngest group of cornerbacks in the National Football League, two high draft choices and uh, all that, is that uh, they've had some injuries. And so... Uh, and they're still fighting some injuries. So overall, that's made it tough on the defense to be able to go ahead and uh, you know be able to stop anybody. Now, as far as the injury front, Eric Kendrick's going to be the big name to kind of follow. He's got a foot injury, didn't practice on Thursday, but he was doing some stuff today. And boy, if they lot do not have him, they're in big trouble. Anthony Barr, they're one of the Pro Bowl linebackers they have, and Kendrick, of course, I think led the National Football League in tackles. You know, he, that would be down two in the uh, linebacking core in a four-three defense, which is not good. So. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how the injury report comes out today. Now, as far as Seattle, and we already know that Jamal Adams isn't going to be able to play. Nico Thorpe's not going to be able to play at cornerback and special teams. You know, they won't have Jordan Brooks. <clears throat> we don't know about uh, Leno Hill. So we know that Ryan Neal is expected to start. So those are the things. But the big one to kind of follow today is going to be Quentin Dunbar. Quentin, Quentin was able to practice uh, yesterday after, you know, sitting out and <clears throat> doing walkthrough on Wednesday, and then, uh, you know, not doing the practice out of caution. And so if he can not have a setback, it'd be important for him to get on the field because, you know, the one thing that you know that uh, has gone well in the last couple weeks for Minnesota is that they're getting the passing game going and they're getting, uh, you know, a good rookie receiver in Curtis Jefferson who's uh, been able to really get downfield and get some of the deeper passes that Kirk Cousins has been missing on and, you know, really at different times to go. So that's going to be an important one to kind of follow. And, of course, Adam Thielen is a real good, precise uh, route runner that can go. So the pregame is going to begin on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Uh, game's going to be 520, and you'll be able to hear the game on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number two. Yesterday, Titans players, they went in as they normally do every single day for their test. And this morning, the league should release the results of that test at some point later this morning, maybe even this afternoon. So we'll be able to know whether or not that game will be played. And, and Zubin, the most important aspect of this is the Titans have to test negative for COVID. They cannot have any positive results here. Otherwise, that game is in severe jeopardy, which is scheduled right now 
to be played on Tuesday at 7 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, so uh, lots of things going on on COVID testing. Uh, it did turn out, as Diana Rossini was talking about, that there was no positive test for Tennessee today. And so that game still seems to be on. No positive test for the New England Patriots. So that game's still going to be on. And so they were awaiting results there. So at this stage, you know, you've got... Uh, the uh, New England Patriots taking on the Titans, and that's going to be uh, you know kind of interesting. Oh, sorry, it's going to be Buffalo against the uh, Titans, and that's t- that's going to be on Tuesday night. New England's going to be able to play Denver. That's going to be Monday instead of Sunday. And then here's the Jets. You know, the Jets had a positive test today. Now what they did, they sent everybody home, and what they're waiting for is a new test to see if it was a false positive. But they're not going to cancel a game because of uh, one one positive test. You know, they may have to take the course of moving it back and of course that's the Jets taking on the Arizona Cardinals a game that's going to be in New Jersey so uh, they're awaiting the results of that so we got a lot of things juggling in the air because now it's like uh, what they had to do as far as the schedule next week because in some ways this really helps out the Kansas City Chiefs because they were going to have to play what three games in uh, uh, three games in like 10 days because they had the Thursday night game they're moving the Thursday night game against uh, with Kansas City and Buffalo that's now going to be on Sunday and uh, you know again Kansas City also no no positive test so a lot of things still floating in the air so at this stage there's going to be seven 10 o'clock games on Sunday. There'll be four one uh, twenty-five or 1 o'clock games. And, of course, you got the Sunday night game between Seattle and the Minnesota Vikings. Number three. Brady, one more shot. Fourth down. Pass up field. It is incomplete. Chicago will take over on downs. And the Bears will beat the Bucks on this Thursday night. 20-19 to 19 with 33 seconds left. And Tom Brady will say, hey, Mr. Ref, is, is, was that third down? It was fourth down and five, and the pass is incomplete. And Tom Brady thinking he has one more down, but this game is over. The Bears will upset the Bucks 20 to 19 on a Thursday night in Chicago. It was a fiery, in- interesting game in the sense that uh, here's Tom Brady uh, out there and not knowing if it was third down or fourth down. Now, of course, they're trying to cover that up. But, I mean, he puts his finger up. It's like third, fourth, all those different things. And this was a game where, you know, the offense was frustrations on each side of the ball or on each side on each team. Like, for example, in the third quarter, Tom Brady got upset at a bunch of stuff and he started yelling and shouting on the sidelines. I know Matt Nagy was upset that some of the things aren't coming together on offense. And so he started yelling and shouting. And so that was kind of interesting. But, you know, Nick Foles, of course, gets now his second big win against Tom Brady. He beat him in a Super Bowl when he was filling in at the Philadelphia Eagles at quarterback. And so now Brady, I mean, how about the fact that Brady now has lost two Super Bowls to Eli Manning, one to Nick Foles uh, of the nine that he's been in. And so that's kind of amazing. But it's amazing to think that the Bears are four and one. Their point differential is point five. Is five. Uh, they're not getting a lot of offense. And I know the coach today even was talking about it, that he's very upset with a lot of things going on on offense. But the Bucks now drop down to uh, three and two. Bears now four and one. And so now what's coming up, the Bucks have to face the Green Bay Packers next week. And if they lose, they're going to be at 500. So and we'll see where it goes for Nick Foles. But I think it's pretty clear, despite how streaky he is, because he was missing wide open receivers by 10 yards when they were going downfield deep. But he was able to get a lot of the short stuff going and then be able to get the win. But a, kind of a crazy game. Final score of the game, Chicago 20, 
uh, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 19, and the Bears, believe it or not, are 4-1. Four and one. Number four. The Miami Heat, first of all, obviously overmatched. Secondly, they desperately needed another superstar performance, and the superstar that was Jimmy Butler turned back into the star that is Jimmy Butler, but not quite that second, you know, that first-tier guy. The way that Dwayne Wade took over, the superstar that he proved himself to be, you was kind of hoping that you'd see something like that from Jimmy Butler in these NBA Finals, particularly after his performance in Game 3. It did not happen. He looked very, very ordinary, and as a result, the Lakers are up 3-1, and I don't believe this is going six games. I think it's over come Friday night. Yeah, so tonight looks like the clincher for the uh, L.A. Lakers for LeBron James to get his fourth title uh, because it's going to be the Lakers taking on the Miami Heat. 3-1 to one is going to be It's going to start at 6 o'clock. You'll be able to see it on ABC. But with the win tonight, that would mean that the uh, Lakers would tie the Celtics for the most NBA titles won. Uh, if LeBron wins, of course, he would become the first player in league history to win MVP in three different times with a team with L.A., Cleveland, and Miami, ironically, which, of course, is kind of funny that he's you know, beating Miami to be able to get into this. So this one uh, has been pretty good so far. Been good NBA type season. Uh, it was a short one. Lasted 70 days. They were in the bubble. But the bubble may break tonight, particularly if the Lakers end this and win the series 4-1. to one. And of course, again, the game is going to be on ABC at 6 o'clock. Number 5. Payoff pitch. That is at the knees. Strike 3. And that is the ball game. And that is the American League Division Series. For the fourth straight year, the Astros are playing in the ALCS as they defeat the Oakland A's this afternoon by a final of 11-6 and win the series three games to one. Well, a lot of baseball yesterday, but Houston getting the 11-6 victory in game four. So that's uh, they're going to get the fourth straight trip to the ALCS. Of course, that may be going against the Yankees. We'll see about that. In the National League, the Dodgers swept the Padres and they clinched the uh, berth. So uh, Dodgers were pretty dominant, and you can kind of figure that that's the way that was going to go. So <clears throat> they got one game tonight. That's going to be Game Five between the Tampa Bay Rays, Tampa Rays, and of course the New York Yankees, uh, seeing who can get in there. And of course, you know, a Yankee uh, Astros would be pretty interesting to watch. So the first pitch of that game is going to be at uh, four ten. Is going to be the Rays against the Yankees. Uh, pretty interesting to see where that's all going and how that's going to shape up. But baseball going into the big stretch right now. But again, the Astros get their fourth straight chance to go into the championship in the AL. Hey, you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and check out which receiver is going to be the biggest challenge for Seattle, which right now every receiver has been a challenge for Seattle. We'll check that out when we go behind the lines. It's under further review, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, of course, a uh, game coming up again, probably another high-scoring game, but uh, kind of ending a stretch of uh, non-division games, mostly against good quarterbacks or experienced quarterbacks, and now it's a matter of how the defense can do and what can they try to do and get the pass pass rush continuing to get a little bit better and get something going with the pass defense, which, of course, has been a big issue. <clears throat> Although, again, the team is 4-0, and but, uh, you know, they do take on, you know, a reasonably talented Minnesota Vikings offense. Kirk Cousins has been real good the last couple of weeks. Justin Jefferson is going to be a danger because he's right now the hottest rookie wide receiver in football. Started the last two games and do well. And then, of course, Adam Thielen is a very accomplished wide receiver. Kyle Rudolph is a solid former Pro Bowl 
type of type tight end. And so the question is going to be, you know, what is going to be the biggest challenge at wide receiver for the Seahawks? And Michael Bumpus had some answers today. Which receiver should Seattle be more worried about? Adam Thielen, who's been one of the more productive players in this league over the past four years? Or the rookie Justin Jefferson, who is off to an incredibly fast start? Adam Thielen. Thielen loved the dude. Not the fastest. Very skilled. Justin Jefferson is the guy you have to look after. His route running IQ is ridiculous. He does subtle things in his routes that only veterans do because they're comfortable out there. This dude is fast. He understands how to attack the defense. He has some of the strongest hands in the league right now. He has eight plays over 20 yards. That's first in the league. He's averaging 20 yards of reception. That's top five in the league. He's not playing like a rookie. And, you know, we talk about with DK, it was like, okay, receivers kind of catch their stride their third year, right? But I'm looking at these rookie receivers who have been coming in and all the training that these dudes have. Uh, They're ahead of the game. They're evolving at a faster pace. The things that he does in a route, I wasn't even allowed to do because I was coached by old school guys. Get to 10, put your foot in the ground, go that way. You know, they didn't They didn't like all the sauce these guys put on the routes now. There's so much sauce on this dude's routes, it's ridiculous. So, Adam Thielen, he is the catalyst. He will keep this thing rolling. You need him. And he plays better when he has a number one receiver. If you look at his numbers, when Diggs wasn't there, he wasn't the greatest. He needs someone to defer to. So Justin Jefferson is that guy. He is the more talented receiver on the Vikings. But obviously, Adam Thielen is the, the veteran. He's experienced. You can, you can count on him. But I like Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson looks good. I mean, really, the last couple of weeks. And uh, Michael Bumpus, of course, bringing up the idea that he has eight uh, catches of 20 yards or more is pretty impressive. And so now the question is going to be, what can they try to do to make sure that he doesn't get those big chunk plays? And that's one of the problems that Seattle didn't have as much last week. But in the first three games, giving up those 20, 25-yard plays, you know, they did cut it down last week. And, of course, you don't want to give up too many 20-yard plays. And so it's going to be a matter of how this uh, defense, particularly if Quentin Jefferson, or Quentin Dunbar gets back and uh, starts to uh, you know take take back that starting job that of course has been missing now for the last couple of weeks because of his injuries. So I think that's going to be one of the big challenges to be able to go ahead, take a look and see you know where things are going to go because in the end I think this is going to be kind of a, a wild crazy game and one you would just want to survive and not give up too many points. And that's the thing, Curtis. It's like uh, you know I know everybody's worried about the pass defense. You know that the Vikings come in with an even more challenge challenge pass defense, mainly because of the issues that they have, uh, you know, with the young, young cornerbacks or the youngest cornerback team in football. So again, you figure it's Russell Wilson versus Kurt Cousins, but Russell usually has the advantage. Yeah. I think if any time you've got Russ and Kurt Cousins going up against each other based off of their history, a, and, and what they are now, I think about nine and a half times out of ten, Russell Wilson comes out on top. Obviously, there was that one game a few seasons ago where Washington, led by Kirk Cousins, came out with a, a last-second victory over Seattle. But like you said, John, I think these teams are very evenly matched across the board outside of that quarterback spot. Russell Wilson, to me, is the MVP of the season's first quarter. While you know, last year I think you could have said the same thing about Russ, or at least he was in that conversation. This year I think it's the most definitive statement you can make 
about the NFL is that Russell Wilson has been the best player in the entire league. You know, 14 touchdowns through, what, three games? He was just absurd last week. You know, he comes back down to earth with 360 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, To me, if it does come down to a game where the quarterback, Seattle has got the edge in every game they're going to play this season up until uh, maybe the Super Bowl if they meet Kansas City there. I don't think... I mean, it's obviously way too early to say Super Bowl for the Seahawks, but that's how it looks right now. If Russell Wilson is going up against anybody, he's going to have the edge. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is so interesting. Is and again, being a big advocate of following the schedule and what it all means. <clears throat> and say what you want. I know that Arizona's disappointed in the last two weeks, uh, losing their two games. San Francisco's trying to start getting healthy. They get Jimmy Garoppolo back this week. You know, he'll be a little limited, but again, he's going to be back. Rams have, I think, surprised everybody with their real good start at three and one, particularly as the good way. That that they're running the football and they're playing well on defense. But uh, you, know, you want to try to get as much in the non-division games as you possibly can. And that's where I think uh, you know Seattle has a big advantage because if you win this game and schedule is everything, you know, you got 10 non-division games, okay? They'll have a 5-0 and record if they win. And really, you look down the line and you see the Giants and you see the uh, – uh, the Jets, and you see the Redskins. You know, it's like, and then uh, really the one challenge is going to be the Buffalo Bills on the road. And so let's say you write that off as a loss, and all of a sudden you're looking at a 9-1 and non-division record. And so if you can at least, you've already almost got half that if you win the game against the Vikings, and then now, you know, you just have to survive in this division and put your foot forward and try to win because Arizona comes back uh, after the bye week, San Francisco, and so that stretch of games is going to be so important because uh, again, if you can come out at four and two and you're sitting there with a thirteen and three, thirteen and three record, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is, and that's the best part about this four and zero start is you can't take away these four wins the Seahawks have, and it makes their road to the postseason even easier. If you go five hundred the rest of the way, that's still a ten win season. That's mm-hmm. ten and six. Uh, which will get you a wild card berth, but obviously the Seahawks this year they are looking well beyond the wild card right now. Uh, I, I think they've kind of learned over the last couple seasons just how important getting home field advantage is in the postseason because you know it, it's a tough sled when you are going to play maybe a home wild card game and then have to go on the road for the divisional round and then the championship round. That's it's not easy to do, and I think. You, we've seen this Seahawks team twice under Pete Carroll get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Both times they made it to the Super Bowl, and I don't think there's any coincidence about that. And I, I think you, if you can get home field advantage, this Seahawks team especially uh, is going to be incredibly dangerous come the end of the season, come playoff time. Well, there's a lot of schedule things that you have to also look at too. Now, again, there's only going to be one bye week uh, for the you know, number one seed because now there's uh, seven uh, playoff teams in uh, each conference. But here's the one thing that uh, you know can go well because again, it's it's tough to be able to get a be a wild card and go to the Super Bowl, right? It's just very tough to do it. That's why home field is so important. And but here's the one advantage, even if you don't get the number one seed, but right now, of course, this team can go nine and one in non division games, uh, then it can get the number one seed. But even if it doesn't, I mean you can see all these little jugglings that we're seeing right now with games being moved back and once you get past the bye weeks, you may not be able to you may have to have that, you know, week eighteen. And if that's going to be the case and you win your division and have a number two, 
uh, seed, uh, then you may be able to get that extra week and be able to regroup and get off. Because, again, that's a big thing, you know, to have a bye week before the start of the playoffs because now you can get fresher, you can get healthier, you can do all those different things. And so, hey, just win the division. But, of course, right now the concentration is, you know, win as many of these non-division games as you can because that was set up. I mean, like, for example, you can see that, uh, okay, uh, Seattle with the non-common games, as they're called, there's two of those. They've already won against Atlanta. And, uh, you know, now they have... Uh, you got San Francisco. You know they have to. Uh, you know they had to play uh, Philadelphia in their non-common game. And it's, it's, in, in the end, if you can just win these games, because now San Francisco has to play Green Bay, where Seattle they have to play Minnesota. Well, I think you'd rather play Minnesota than Green Bay. You'd rather play Kirk Cousins than you would uh, Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely, and uh, San Francisco plays Green Bay. Yeah, uh, it's at it's in the Bay Area, but still. Anytime you can avoid a four no team like Green Bay at some point in your season, uh, it's going to be a much easier road for you. Oh, no doubt about it. Hey, by the way, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to get a preview of the Minnesota Vikings. Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com joins us. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com. Covers the Minnesota Vikings. And, of course, uh, interesting game coming up here with the Vikings in the sense that uh, what what Viking team really is this? Because, you know, I thought that mm-hmm. uh, the way that Rick Spielman kind of engineered it, having to, you know, make the big cuts and things of that nature to get everything under the cap and work out, that, you know, with the Yadik and Dockway trade, the defense would be okay. But clearly the defense is not okay. Yeah, you're right. And I think that when they traded for Ngakwe at the end of August, you look on paper and you say, okay, Daniel Henry's coming back, right? They're telling us he's coming back. So when they get him back, they've got two stars up front. They've got two stars in their linebacking core. And then they've got, you know, a star in Harrison Smith and a really good safety next to him in Anthony Harris. All they've got as an issue would be the cornerback unit. Well, obviously, Daniel Hunter has not played because he has the herniated disc in his neck. Uh, linebacking core has been decimated by injuries. Uh, Harrison Smith gets ejected from a game last week, so then they're having George Iloka, who was practicing at nickel corner all week, having to place uh, back there at deep safety. And it's just like, what's gone wrong for this defense? Like, literally every step of the way, what could go wrong has. And I think that that's honestly um, a huge part of why the defense has really struggled in games this year because we knew that the cornerback unit, the entire new group of starters, and in weeks one through four, it's literally been a new group of starters every single week because of injuries. We knew they were going to struggle. Um, but I just don't think you could have foreseen some of the injuries and everything else that's gone on that's really hurt this defense from top to bottom this year. And then, you know, the, the identity of this team has changed. It's not a defense anymore that can, you know, bail you out of games, but the offense is having to pull double duty in that sense. Yeah, and of course, then the other issue is going to be uh, now uh, Eddie Kendricks, if he's going to be able to play, because now if you take away Anthony Barr and Kendricks, then they're really in trouble as far as trying to be able to stop teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Eric Kendricks is leading the team, uh, leading the NFL in tackles through four weeks and you know, doing a really good job of it. There's a reason he's an all-pro, um, and I think that if he's not able to go, I know that he kind of you know, I won't say downplay, but like, you know, the same, the injury wasn't that big of a deal. It's a foot injury. So if he doesn't practice on 
Friday. I mean, he didn't practice on Wednesday and Thursday. He's certainly in doubt. But, um, I mean, they're, they're getting guys off the street in the linebacker position. You know, Hardy Nickerson, uh, Todd Davis, uh, Ryan Connolly, guys that, you know, half of them weren't even in training camp for the Minnesota Vikings and now are going to be called upon, um, you know, if Eric Wilson ends up being, he's always calling the defense, but if he ends up being the only true vet out there, because they still don't have Troy Dye back from injury. He's not eligible to come off IR until next week. So, yeah, certainly a big hit. And, and this was, John, supposed to be the, the strength of this defense in 2020, bar none. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, how because they've had so much issue at the defensive tackle position, you know, because uh, Linville Joseph ends up getting cut because he was making over ten million a year, and then uh, Michael Pierce was signed for nine million, and he opts out for the season. Uh, what's left at the defensive tackle position? Yeah, um, not a lot. <laughs> I would say, I mean, Shamar Stephenson, they've done a good job rotating him. Like he doesn't need to be playing. I think they've realized that. Um, you know, the majority is like he, he can be a rotational player and you can you can um, have guys in there who are, you know, in a much better position uh, to be able to kind of like sustain a rotation and, you know, go forward with that. But I think that the defensive tackle thought like, we found a little bit of a pass rush with, um, you know, Armand Watts who's used him in there. He's a promising guy. I think that they are, you know, it's it's enough with what Jaleel Johnson can provide. Uh, you have three techniques, but that's certainly a position that needs an upgrade. Um, the next, you know, next few years. Like, I think that that's going to be a priority in free agency for sure. Oh, yeah, no question. And uh, I know uh, having just watched this in uh, the first couple weeks of the season, if a team's young at cornerback in this particular year, particularly in an NFC where there's so many good quarterbacks, you can be in trouble. And uh, for various reasons, for the cap and everything else, uh, Rick Smolman had to let the top three uh, cornerbacks go, and they're all in there with young cornerbacks. And that, I know mm-hmm. from Atlanta, I saw it in Dallas if because of injuries. That could be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I mean, they are doing their best. Like, I know that it's the low-hanging fruit of things to complain about would be the Vikings corners because, you know, Mike Hughes has he's a first-round draft pick. He has not panned out yet, and it really is no fault of his own because of injury. He hasn't played uh, in two games uh, so far this season because of that neck injury. And then starting, I mean, last week, you saw what happened there in the third quarter when Harrison Smith goes out. I mean, Deshaun Watson is a smart guy. He sees that the Vikings are starting Jeff Gladney and uh, Cameron Dantzler, two rookies at corner, and he sees George Iloka, who hasn't you know played at all. He goes and he attacks that, and they score a touchdown. Like that's what you're facing with this team. And honestly, maybe we'll look back at this in a couple of years and say that was the best crash course they could have gotten uh, to learning how to play in the NFL, going up a you know a, a five week stretch. I remember when I looked at the schedule when they released it in May, thinking, oh my goodness, like. It's Aaron Rodgers, like, okay, welcome to the NFL. And then Philip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill had, you know, the crazy completion percentage last year. He's great off play action. That's another tough test in week three. And then obviously Deshaun and Russell Wilson and back-to-back weeks, it's no slouch. So um, that's certainly a humongous test for them that maybe time will show us was potentially the best thing for their development. But I'm trying to find a glass half full approach here because it's very difficult to uh, you know, to judge, I think, marginal improvement week to week. Yeah, no doubt. Talk about the the two draft choices and uh, how do they look, Danzler and Gladney? Because it seemed like uh, Danzler had kind of moved ahead of Gladney. Then, of course, I think what mm-hmm. he was injured. And so, you know, you, you look and you say, okay, that's been kind of an adventure. But, you know, how I know these guys right now being rookies, but how do they look? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 
Yeah, I think that Dantzler, he was hurt. Uh, he had the rib injury that kept him out week two and three, and then he played last week. Um, he's the prototypical Mike Zimmer corner, long, rangy, um, probably a little bit more on the slighter side. He, he is. He calls himself the needle, after all. I mean, he's skinny, so I wonder, you know, does that have anything to do with the rib injury and just not having enough mass on his body? I guess we'll find out. He's not Xavier Rhodes, in other words, but... He is that prototype. I mean, he's a big physical corner, and that's what Zim likes with him. So I think that Dantzler was set up for success just from the uh, draft profile and of what the type of build that Zimmer was looking for at that position. Obviously, Gladney, on a lot of people's boards, he was like one of the top star players, meaning, you know, that interchangeable nickel outside can play up in the box. I mean, he can do a lot. He's a very versatile defender. He did mention, though, he had that knee injury. Um, and he you know, ran a 40-yard dash at the combine out of torn meniscus. So I think that that might have been part of kind of like easing him into it this year. But he's, you know, as Mike Zimmer said, he's kind of pulling double duty out there. He's got the most on his plate because he's playing nickel and he's playing outside some. So um, I think this is just like what you expect with young cornerbacks. And, you know, in realizing it's not going to be a cakewalk this year, like maybe we all underestimated how long this whole thing was going to take. But, um, you know, certainly through five weeks, we're seeing the bumps. Oh, yeah, no question. And that's uh, and particularly in the NFC where, you know, the average, I think, offense is scoring like about 27 points a game, putting so much pressure on the defense because there's you know more than a dozen quarterbacks that have more than three years experience. And most of them have been to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's there's no question that that's something, um, (laughs) you know, it's just going to come with time like they're. You know, they're a really young unit. It's the youngest cornerback unit in the NFL, and they've been decimated themselves by injuries. Every single one of them has dealt with some injury this year. And, you know, we don't even know if Holm Hill, uh, you know, another veteran guy, if he's going to be able to play this week because he's been dealing with a foot injury and was downgraded to out or downgraded to DNT on, um, on Thursday's practice. So, again, um, They've got to come up with something on the back end. I mean, the, the, the pressure that's been on the safeties to kind of pull this group along is certainly immense. Switching to the offense, uh, Kirk Cousins uh, tends to be, you know, I guess a little bit up and down. Has he been more down mm-hmm. than up or more up than down? Well, I think the last two weeks really show you uh, the improvement the offense has made and that they found their formula for success through Justin Jefferson, through Adam Thielen, and through Dalvin Cook. Like, get, get the ball in the playmaker's hands. Um, have Kirk throw anywhere from 22 to 25, maybe 26 times a game, and you're going to find that sweet spot for this offense. Um, I think he looked good. I think that the way that they took their shots last week off play action, I think he was 9 of 11 for, you know, 160-something yards and a touchdown. Like, his play action attempts to 8 of 16 uh, the first three weeks attempts only. So it's like, okay, they're finding that clearly that's a strength of his, and clearly that's a strength of this offense. So, um, I think he's looked fine. Um, he is up and down. He's probably the most hot and cold quarterback in the NFL because good Kirk is really good. But then, you know, you look at what happened against Tennessee in that final drive where, you know, he's been shotgun the whole time. That's not necessarily on him. Um, the, the pass blocking was atrocious. And, you know, he can't lead a game-winning drive. And that's the type of stuff that, you know, I think back to the game last night with Tom Brady. What was he, like, trying for his, like, 50 game-winning drive, something absurd like that over his career, mm-hmm. obviously like, longer than Kirk, but like Kirk has won. Like, something doesn't add up there, and it's not just because, 
you're, you know, getting into shootouts or maybe you're playing on a good team where the game's, you know, out of out of reach for your opponent and you don't have to lead game-winning drive. But the moments that he's had to do that, he hasn't shown up. Um, the one that he, the one he has in his career is against Denver, a team that they should not have even been in that situation with last year. Um, in uh, I think it's like week 13 or something like that. But yeah, I mean. I think if they can continue this formula, because they're going to have to pull the weight for this entire team going forward, that this is going to be the only way that they can win games this year, and, and Kirk is going to be shouldering a big part of that responsibility. And so a lot of it is uh, from Gary Kubiak. Then it just kind of limit the amount of passes and try to you know go you know not necessarily do sometimes at thirty five forty passes a game. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's like, what where are those passes going? Um, Cook. Thielen and Jefferson are accounting for 70% of the team's yards from scrimmage. That's great, but, like, what about the screen game? What about running backs uh, lining up as receivers? We heard so much about that, but that hasn't happened yet. And, obviously, the question I always get is, where's Irv Smith? We've heard all this development about, um, you know, a promising second-year tight end, and he hasn't done anything. Um, I think it's going to take a while because, I mean, this isn't – I know last year we said, okay, well, Kevin Stefanski's running Gary Kubiak's offense. And certainly it was his scheme, but Stefanski took different shots with his tight end. I mean, it took a while to realize it could do more than block, but, I mean, he would get them involved in the passing game, and certainly Adam Thielen's injury paved the way for Kyle Rudolph to have some big games, for Bruce um, Smith to have some big games. So I think that that's a situation that might come in a few weeks. Maybe it's something you that you deal with all the time, but... But, yeah, I mean, I think there's more ways for, for them to get other guys involved. And, you know, obviously that would be, um, you know, contingent upon getting Coke the ball and, and, you know, starting the run early because he's going to beat the load, uh, you know, shouldering a huge part of the load this year. And he has to for the state offense of this team. Hey, read Courtney Cronin at ESPN.com. Courtney, uh, thank you so much. And uh, sorry you're not making the trip here to Seattle. Uh, but then, let's put it this way. I'm not traveling. Nobody's traveling for the most part. That's kind of the way it is. I know. I have been next year. I mean, I'm sure that they'll line up somehow having to play Seattle again uh, for four straight years. So I'm looking forward to it whenever it comes down the road. Okay, sounds good. Courtney, thank you so much. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and catch you up on the craziness of the National Football League. Lots of stuff to get into. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, Courtney and I just did talk about a little bit about Eric Kendricks, and it looks like he's going to be okay. Uh, he was able to practice today, and he's not even going to be on the injury report, so they're not going to be down two Pro Bowl linebackers and one of the leading tacklers in the league. But the injury report's out. K.J. Osborne, their kick returner, he's going to be out with a hamstring injury. Cornerback Chris Boyd has a hamstring injury, and Holton Hill is going to be out with a foot injury. So, again, they're going to be thin and very young at the cornerback position for this game's coming up Sunday night. Interesting came out of the league office, Perry Fuel coming out from the uh, referees uh, group as far as the super, not supervisors, but he kind of runs uh, what's going on internally. He sent out a memo to uh, all the coaches and players and all that stuff. And what he said, and this is involving the officials, anybody that goes near an official 
takes down their mask and starts yelling or, you know, trying to do something, you know, they, you can do a couple things. You can one, I'm going to John Harbaugh, if he would be doing this this week, you know, would probably be fined, could be ejected and they could lose draft choices. So they're putting the hammer down on that to make sure that, uh, you know, one, that the officials have their way, but also you don't have officials exposed to getting COVID-19, you know, by somebody that's going to be very mad and an official on a call and all that stuff. So every coach now has to watch out. I guess every player, although again, they're not wearing a mask. So I think this is more for the coaches. And so coaches are going to be in a tough spot. Because here you got the coaches. It's like okay, uh, you, you can lose a hundred thousand uh, dollars if you uh, have your mask off or caught with your mask off. Pete was among five coaches that had that happen, and now you can have the possibility there that uh, now you can lose even more and even get ejected from the game. And of course, could you imagine? I can't ever remember. In fact, I don't think it's ever happened to my to my knowledge that a, a coach has been ejected from the game. But that now can happen. So I don't know, Curtis. That's kind of an a, an unusual one, but it's one that's understandable. Yeah, it is a, a very unusual one. But like you said, I mean, with especially with how many COVID cases we've seen in the NFL over the last couple of weeks, uh, I don't blame them for. Uh, you know, coming down on that rule. I wish uh, in in day to day life we could penalize people who come at us too closely without a mask. That'd be kind of funny to see. But uh, yeah, I, I think I wonder if we'll see more coaches go with the uh, the visor look that Andy Reid has because yeah. you can see his face. You don't have to pull your mask down to uh, read his lips or anything like that. And I think he, you're able to pre- convey proper emotion uh, with that so that everybody can see what what you're doing when you've got the mask on. You can't really see what the the coach is saying or anything like that. Um, maybe that becomes the norm, I guess, for coaches across the NFL, but it's it's going to be an interesting interesting go of it. Uh, speaking, John, of, of teams that have COVID cases going on, the Patriots uh, with Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore, any word yet if those guys are uh, you know testing negative or if they're going to be available anytime soon? I would imagine that uh, Gilmore would not be. Uh, now, of course, maybe he might be able to slide in because they've moved the game to Monday night. That's Denver and the New England Patriots because the way – and again – Rules change every day, pretty much. And so the rule that came down last week, if you have a positive test and are asymptomatic, uh, you can come back and play within five days, uh, or at least as long as you have two negative tests. So that may be the case for Cam Newton. But I think, you know, the the fact that, uh, you know, Gilmore, was it on Tuesday or Wednesday, tested positive? I don't know if that five-day mark's going to go. But if, you're, if you have symptoms, then uh, it's a 10-day wait because then you really have to quarantine. So they may have Newton. I don't think they'll have Gilmore. So that will be uh, you know, kind of one to follow right now. But again, the, the, uh, it, it is so hard to keep up with the rules. I mean, we're thankful that you, know, you have a lot of people working on these things, and they get the good information, and you can kind of figure it out. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenge just about every day to be able to figure out what's going to be the new rules and all that stuff, because they, they keep on clamping down. And I mean, I think you can see the next team that has an outbreak, uh, there's going to be some significant changes because I think that, you know, they're going to have the hotel bubble. You know, I, it's funny, you know, you have different coaches in that saying, oh, yeah, what we should do is have a bubble uh, and move everything to a different city. No, that's the wrong thing to do. The simple thing, and even though it's unfair necessarily for the players, it's one that can work is that, okay, you just take the entire team, most of the staff, you stick them in a hotel, and then you don't, you don't, the only time you let them out is when you go to practice. That's it. May not be fair for the family. I mean, boy, did you see Aaron Rodgers and some of the members of the Detroit Lions just wailing 
uh, about what was going on with the bye week because both of those are on the bye week. Seattle goes next week, but like uh, you can't go home. Or you can't if you're out of town during that bye week. You can't travel anywhere because what you have to do is that you have to have a test every day in the city that you play. And if you miss the test, then you get a fine. If you miss two tests, you get suspended. Yeah, it, it, I think we're going to see a, a a new sort of way the NFL goes about uh, sort of deciding on these COVID. Uh, you know all these COVID cases that have popped up over the last couple of weeks because uh, you got to wonder if teams are taking it as seriously as they should. Um, but also, John, we saw a couple of injuries last night: Vita Oof. Vea for Tampa Bay, and then also Dallas's Tyron Smith done for the season. Looks like both those guys are out for the season. Uh, how do you expect Tampa Bay to to fill in on that defensive line without the big uh, the big bruiser Vita Vea? Yeah, it's going to be tough because again, he really has developed into a really good defensive tackle, and that's going to take away their ability uh, in many ways to stop the run as well as he can do. Because the one thing that he does, you know, he takes up so much space that he makes it easier for the inside linebackers to have enough space to make the tackles and do the blitzes and stuff like that. But that's a big blow for them, and it's a devastating one for the Dallas Cowboys because I mean, you watch it two weeks ago in the sense that uh, you know they're down to an undrafted rookie from last year uh, at the one tackle spot and an undrafted rookie this year and they're both starting because well little Collins is now going to be out for the season and so now you lose two guys for the season and it was a neck injury that's probably going to need surgery for Tyron Smith but uh, you know that team is devastated right now by the way I was, I was I'm going through this for 710sports.com and you know what a big advocate of the schedule I am absolutely and it's like uh, you know that's where you know it's like if they can be the Seahawks can beat the Minnesota Vikings. They have a great chance to be nine and one in the non-division games because they've already had five. This will be their fifth non-division game, and believe it or not, this was supposedly going to be the toughest stretch because you're playing Cam Newton, you're playing uh, Dak Prescott, you're playing uh, Matt Ryan, an experienced guy, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then of course you got Kirk Cousins coming up on Sunday. But believe it or not, hitting them at the time when having the five games early, those teams are five and fifteen. Gee. That's yeah, wow. That's that's pretty advantageous for the Seahawks there, wouldn't you think? Oh yeah, and of course they're the closing schedule right now, and this is you know a little bit higher because of the division games, the six division games, but but there are four forty eight uh schedule coming out that's the seventh easiest in the league and the 49ers have the toughest closing schedule because they haven't had this stretch where they've had to play these great quarterbacks and they're they're at a 646 second hardest in the league I, I think the Seahawks have a really good shot at uh, picking up some W's here, John. That would be it. And, of course, they just have to get that uh, W. Now, what we want to do is want to get your phone calls to get your reaction to everything going on Seahawk-related, NFL-related. We want you to give us a call at 206-421-3776 or 866-979-ESPN, which, of course, is 866-979-3776. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.